0: Welcome back to Ashburton. We're uh, about ready to start now. It's political commentary.
1: With Dr. Lara Greaves this morning. Kia ora, Lara. How are you?
0: Morning. uh, You know, pretty good. It's always a bit mixed, but... (laughs) Yeah, it is. Life,
1: there. Eh? How are you? Oh, we're good. It's been kicking off in the regions this week. Let's talk about let's talk about what's going on in Hamilton West. Mm. Uh, there is a by-election which has been triggered by Gaurav Sharma uh, resigning from his role. Or how has this actually come come to pass, and what does it all mean?
0: So, of course, there's been those allegations from Gaurav Sharma around bullying um, and bullying through parliamentary services and from other Labour Party MPs and the leadership. And then he moved to, there were various moves backwards and forwards, but exposed that, and he was ultimately expelled from the Labour Party caucus. And so he's been sitting in Parliament for the last few months as an independent MP. Now, he's had a point where he had heard from someone that Labour were going to use the, um, what people call the Walker Jumping Law, which isn't a very good term for it. It's a little bit racist. <laughs> um, but the, the Electoral Amendment Act, um, the, the party in, electoral integrity provisions, basically, where Labour would expel him from Parliament in the last six months before the election. Now, if if Labour did that in the six months before the election and 75% of the MPs agreed, then there wouldn't be a by-election in Hamilton West. So it would be kind of a really sneaky way to get rid of Sharma. However, there was actually not much evidence, and he hasn't presented any evidence to suggest that Labour were going to do that. Right. So now we find ourselves in a situation where either before Christmas or in January, February, sometime there will be a by-election in Hamilton West, um, and that's going to cost. It they cost about one, one point two million dollars to run, and basically Gaurav Sharma is going to come back and run as a candidate for his own centre-centrist um, party, probably against. National Labor and then ACT is thinking about running a Canada as well.
1: Well, we had the, the Prime Minister on the show yesterday, and she did say uh, well, she did sound, I think, distinctly annoyed by this. Is this a real thorn in Labour's side? What's what's your your read on what this is going to mean for the Labor Party?
0: Yeah, I think it's a pretty annoying thing for them. I can see where they would be annoyed by it. I mean, of course, but, um, there needs to be investigations, and there's been a um, there's going to be a repeat of the Francis report, the Speaker. Um, stats, so there'll be a repeat of the report into the culture cultures of bullying in Parliament, and that should um, do a really good overview of all, of all of these issues and kind of see um, what kind of um, the culture's doing mm. post any of the reforms that were put in place but ultimately what ends up happening in the situation is it feels as though Gurushama has chosen the timing to kind of annoy Labour so there's been the Barbara Kurga um, kind of various sort of conflict of interest allegations there and the resignation from her portfolio. And that scandal's now been overshadowed by Sharma resigning. The other thing, of course, is it's very likely that Labour will lose that, um, will lose Hamilton West. Although it's been a bit of a bellwether seat, which means it's switched backwards and forwards. Yeah. I think we can broadly expect that National will do really well there. I think there's actually still going to be some issues there where National could get a bit embarrassed, and it's actually looking mm-hmm. like two older Yar men are going to be the front-runners for the candidacy, and there's going to obviously be criticism there around National and diversity. Um, so that's, that's going to be a potential issue for them, but ultimately it's probably... I don't know, I've sat there on the Wikipedia pages looking at the numbers quite a bit, and it kind of feels like it'll probably go back to National.
1: So let's talk about what's been happening with Barbara Kuraga, uh, National MP who was the MP for Taranaki King Country. She's resigned all of her portfolios, uh, including agriculture, last week. And this is apparently over a personal dispute with the Ministry of Primary Industries. Can you unpack this a wee bit? What's actually going on here? So from what I can
0: see, so she and and you know, farming, agribusiness, that kind of thing. She was in charge of their death before she was an MP, their kind of family farm business type thing. And then later her husband took over that that role. And within that, on a property that they own, their son has committed acts of animal cruelty and then been actually found guilty of those. And so within that context, the family have complaints around the Ministry for Primary Industries and the way that that all went down. And... Looks as though Barbara Kuriger was writing letters like as an MP in this context. So it's kind of all really murky. And whenever we start to hit anything to do with family, you know, if there's a conflict of interest, it needs to be super declared and super clear. And in fact, in that case, it really was probably inappropriate for her to pick up those portfolios. Mm. So one thing is, is the shadow cabinet of the main opposition party is meant to be literally like a shadow cabinet, like look kind of like a cabinet and wasting a cabinet ready to go. Mm-hmm. So these kind of conflicts of interest are not what would meet say, the cabinet manual. So the cabinet manual is kind of the instructions for cabinet, the overall sort of rules of engagement any even perceived conflicts of interest are not on and this is definitely just doesn't meet that test in any way and so it, it's really for her now it's it's a case of whether she would have a future in a mm-hmm. future National Party cabinet so say they get elected could she sit in cabinet after, after all of this would she have the perceived integrity and it's probably a case of no and then yeah, whether that then means that the Taranaki king country seat is up for grabs for a National Party candidate.
1: So what does this mean more broadly for National? I think it's interesting looking at their shadow cabinet and, and what you could potentially expect if they were to govern. What, what do you see the shadow cabinet or the potential cabinet of a National Party looking like at the moment? Do you think they could do it?
0: There are some, definitely some strong players in, in their shadow cabinet, and that could do a really good job in some of those portfolios from their own ideological lens and the way that national do things. What we've kind of got to watch at this stage is how Luxon manages this team. So he's come in. To some extent, he's been given a group of people who he's got no control over. So he's not been involved with. He doesn't necessarily know them. He doesn't necessarily know the inner workings politics and dynamics that other leaders would have observed over several years. Mm. Because, I mean, I think we've all been in workplaces, and we know who does what and who's lazy and who's really good and all that Mm -hmm. stuff. But he hasn't been there to see that. And so that's a, that's a hard position for him to be in. And then, of course, we've also got to take into account that he, the down scandal, the Sam mm-hmm. Uffendale scandal, and that he's now apparently going through all of the MPs and seeing if anyone's got skeletons in their closet. So there's a degree of people management that um, still has to be done around making sure everyone is squeaky clean. And I think ultimately, though, it's kind of sensible to be going through and doing that now and figuring out who has potential scandals and issues now because we're still a year out. And Mm. so actually, you kind of have to hand it to him. It's better that the, say, Barbara Kuriger thing comes out now a year, a year for we've got a year till the election, where they can sort something out and you know ask her to retire and that sort of thing, versus like two months before voting. Mm,
1: totally. Well, it'll be interesting to follow. It's certainly not uh, not been without uh, notable, I guess, scandals as you said, or, or notable dramas over the last wee while for the National Party. Uh, but let's talk about Winston Peters, who has mm. decided to throw his hat back into the ring. Potentially, he's also been, uh, I guess, really leaning into. A corner with some of his rhetoric in uh, the speech we heard from him earlier this week. Do you want to explain a wee bit what's been going on here and, and how do you read it?
0: Yeah, so from what I can tell, Winston Peters has a phone alarm that goes off every couple of months <laughs> where he's like, "Oh, damn, better like do a press release or a speech to like whip up some anti Māori populist sentiment." You know, like it's almost like he's like, "Oh, it's it's time. It's that time <laughs> of year again. It's right before the election," and that is actually what he does, and that's part of his brand. His brand has always been around like. Māori as individuals pulling themselves up by their own bootstraps like he did and, you know, not being part of that broader cultural unit, not being part of hapū iwi politics and kind of following respecting the treaty. That's always been part of his brand. The other part's been anti-immigration, and so it'll be interesting to see where he picks up that rhetoric again in the the lead-up to the campaign. But again, we're about a year out from the election, and this is kind of a good timing to start re-energising his base, re-energising his party, and he's sitting at about 2.5% in the polls, New Zealand First Star. So it's not unreasonable to suspect that a few different events or things should happen and that they could get back into Parliament. Um, but ultimately it is like maybe a few percent of voters that they're trying to compete with ACT, mm. if anything on, the kind of voter who is actually really concerned about co-governance and the treaty. And something like the elect- New Zealand election study actually shows that about around 8% of New Zealanders strongly disagree um, with the treaty being part of the law. So wow. it's that group. It's that group. We're still trying to target that group. And, you know, I think the, the thing there is that there are generational cohort that are moving on um, and being replaced by younger voters who actually have the opposite attitude. So it is a specific group of people that he's trying to target, and mm. that's who he targets.
1: Well, it'll be very interesting to see what happens over the coming months. I'm sure it won't be the last time we have a chat about this. Uh, But thank you very much, Lara, for speaking with us this morning, Dr. Lara Greaves from the University of Auckland. Have a great rest of your day.
0: You too. Thank
1: you. Kia ora. Kia ora. You just heard a bit of political commentary. All
0: right.